Good morning and welcome to worship. Thanks for waiting on us. <laughs> uh, I invite you to stand if you'd like to, and let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that uh, we have power, God, that we um, have this opportunity, Lord, to come together um, to, to worship you, to lift your name on high. Um, God, we, we just want to give you honor this morning, and uh, we want to focus this next time on you, God. Be with us here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. So, so highly exalted for us in heaven above. Come, you came to the earth you created. All for our sake, he came poor. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. And I'll never know 
Oh, we pray. 
Luke chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 36, says, And as he was going along, they were spreading out their cloaks on the road, he being Jesus. Now as he was drawing near by this time to the descent from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began rejoicing to praise God with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King, the one who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and said, I tell you that if these keep silent, the stones will cry out. Keep that in mind as we sing this next song. It says, Christ be magnified. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole earth echoing 
is imminence. His name would burst from sea and sky, from rivers to the mountain tops. We'd hear Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let His praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. From the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. When every creature finds its inmost melody, and every human heart its native cry, oh, then in one enraptured hymn of praise we'll sing Christ be magnified oh Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice cause you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings, I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me
Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to look at the first eight verses. Would you like to stand with me? We'll, we'll honor the Lord by, by reading his word. So uh, we're going to begin in verses, uh, verse 1, but our, our focal point will be verses 3 to 8. So the, the, the Apostle Paul says to us now, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Please be seated. Uh, We're going to look at um, verses 3 to 8, really, verse by verse, section by section, so I hope you'll uh, you'll keep your Bibles open. I I, I think that will help. Uh, For the the past several years, I've done uh, ministry both as as a pastor and as a chaplain, and and before we came to uh, Shawnee, uh, I pastored up in St. Louis, Missouri, and one day I was in the hospital and I was visiting this, this uh, couple, and the, the wife had just had a, uh, a major cardiac procedure, so she was back in, her, in the patient room um, after having this cardiac procedure. Her, her husband was there. They were, they were Baptist people that had you know, come like 100 miles to have this, this cardiac procedure, and so I was talking with them and, and praying with them, and a, a nurse came into the room. And the nurse took her. Technology is wonderful until it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> That's so often the case. I, I love technology until it's not, until it's not working well. Uh, but uh, are, are we good now? Okay, perfect. So, so kind of back to, the, back to the illustration. I'm in this uh, patient room with this couple. The wife's just had a cardiac procedure, and the, a nurse comes in. And I, I know this nurse well because I, I see her every day. Part of my ministry is on this, on this cardiac floor. And the nurse comes in, and she takes the patient's uh, vitals. And then she opens up a laptop because uh, the law requires you today to, to enter all the patient vitals in the, into their chart every time the nurse comes in. And so I asked the nurse, I said, how are you doing today? And she says, not too good. She says, five of these have died on me already today, and I hope this one doesn't die on me too. <laughs> and so the, the, the husband and wife look at each other shocked. They look at me shocked. I'm shocked. I, I look at the, the nurse shocked. You, you just don't say that stuff. <laughs> and so I finally said to her, I said, what are you talking about? She says, I'm fr- so frustrated. It's these laptops. Nobody's plugging them in and charging them. So I've had five dead. The battery's almost out on this one. It's, it's, it's almost ready to die too. And, you know, she said one thing. We heard something very different. It, it isn't like that way so much. We, we, we heard a different message, something totally different than what she was meaning to say. You know, we were worried about this patient dying. And as Christ Church, we have the most important message in the world. We have the gospel message. It's a message everybody needs to hear. It's a message that every church, every Christian needs to share. But somehow, people outside the Christian faith 
frequently are not hearing the gospel message at all, or, or they're, they're hearing the wrong message from Christians in the church. I don't, either we're not saying it right, or, or something's getting lost in translation. And so our, the, the series we're in in the month of July is called Ancient Modern Church. And so we have, a, we have an ancient message, the, the message that's given to us in the New Testament, but it's for all people of all times. And so as a modern church, we want to we discover how do we, how do we share God's message in a way that, that you know, modern people that are far from God and far from the church will, will be able to hear it and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So what's our message as a church? Our, our message is the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus. And if we were to you know, put it into a nutshell, you know, Jesus through his, his perfect life, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, offers us three things. He offers us a, a relationship with God, he offers us forgiveness of sins, and he offers us eternal life in heaven. That's, that's an amazing message, wonderful good news. And so, as we, as we look at these six verses today, verses 3 to 8, uh, I want to look at three points from the Scripture, and since it, it refers to the Old Testament several times, we'll look at some of the Old Testament Scriptures along the way. And the, the first thing we want, we want to know as, as a church, as Christians today, is that our message, uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's historically reliable. It, it's truth with no mixture of error. Uh, it's the gospel. So look at verse 3. Paul tells us, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. So he's saying whether we know Christ or we don't, whether we're in the church or not, uh, the, the, the most important thing the, of first importance is the gospel message. And our, our message as, as Christians, as a church, is, is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so God wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the gospel accounts, the, the Bible's accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they're, they're historically reliable. They're, they're truth with no mixture of error. And, you know, some, some people today would want to say that, that our message of the, from the Bible about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's a myth, or it's a fairy tale, or it's the product of someone's imagination. But what the Scripture's telling us here clearly is that the gospel is God's truth. We, we can trust it. We can share it. We can receive it. And when Paul says in verse 3, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you. And remember Paul, before he was a Christian, he was a, a Jewish rabbi, and he was a scholar and a theologian, you know, super intellectual person. And so these words that Paul is using here, they're, they're technical theological terms from from Paul's Jewish heritage and Old Testament heritage. And, and these words were used for, uh, to describe the passing on of biblical teaching. And so, you know, Paul was this Jewish rabbi, and when Christ saved him, he became a, a Christian missionary. And he, he's using these words to assure us that all the Bible says about the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are, are, are real events. They, they were seen, they were heard by eyewitnesses. And the, the eyewitnesses in, in the New Testament world, they, they saw these things with their own eyes, heard them with their own ears, touched Jesus with, with their own hands, and then they, they, they memorized the, the teachings of Jesus. They memorized the events around uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then carefully passed them on to others. Eyewitness accounts. And so the, the Apostle Paul is telling us what he's giving us here in 1 Corinthians 15. He, he received... All of these words from, from eyewitnesses that saw Jesus died, 
saw Jesus be buried, saw him resurrected from the dead. And he says, I've got all of this for my witnesses, and I'm passing it on to you today. You can believe it. It's gospel truth. And so we can be, sh- be sure as Christians, as a church, that when we share the gospel, we've got overwhelming evidence that the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus from, from the dead is, is absolutely true. We can, we can believe all of these things beyond a shadow of a doubt. And when we share the gospel with other people who are outside the Christian faith or people who are seeking God, you know, we can share these things with complete confidence. So let's move on to the second point. This brings us to, you know, midway through verse 3, you know, on through verse 5. And so the the Lord says through the Apostle Paul here that, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Peter, uh, and then he appeared to the twelve. Some of your translations might, might say that, it, that he appeared to, to Cephas. Verses 3 to 5 are, are what we might call an ancient Christian creed. Um, have, are you all familiar with some of the ancient Christian creeds, like the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed was, was written like 140 A.D. It's the, it's the oldest Christian creed outside of the Scriptures. And, and some of these uh, brief teachings about the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus come in, in the form of this, these early Christian creeds. And, and they, were, they were put in this form by Jesus and his apostles so that they were they were easy to memorize, easy to, to pass on to others, easy to share with people who were growing in their faith, easy to share with people who, who were outside the Christian faith that, that needed Jesus. And in Bible days, uh, their culture was very much an oral culture. You, 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 you passed on the news or you, you passed on biblical teaching through, through speaking and hearing. You know, today our culture is so different. We've got a print culture as well as an online culture. You know, we, we don't tend to memorize a lot of things today. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we, we pick up our Bibles or we go to our laptops or our iPads or we grab our phone. You know, so many times when, you know, I'm, I'm reading scripture on the run at a doctor's office or, um, you know, when I'm traveling, I, I grab my phone. I, I've got the whole Bible in, you know, 50 translations on my phone. It's, it's easy to do that. But the, in, in Bible days, they, not only did they not have access to, to technology, they didn't even have access to written books. You had to be a, a scholar or a professor or a theologian to have copies of the Scripture, your, your own copies. And so people, you know, ended up memorizing God's Word and, and passing God's Word on to others, you know, through the spoken Word. The, the, the culture was just really different, and so people found things a lot more easy to, to memorize and to repeat back in that day. And as, as we look at these teachings about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you know, we see in these, these next few verses, it's kind of just breaking down into several parts. And so the first thing the Scripture wants us to know here is that, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And so, you know, Jesus' death on the cross wasn't an accident. It wasn't just something that evil people d- did to Jesus. You know, Jesus' death on the cross was planned by God. It was part of God's perfect plan. Jesus died a died on the cross for your sins and mine. Jesus died on the cross to, to offer his body as a sacrifice for our sins. And Paul refers to, to Jesus as, as Christ here. You know, you know Christ isn't Jesus' last name like Kimball is my last name. You know, Christ really is a, is a title for Jesus, you know, meaning that he's the Son of God. It literally means the anointed one, the, you know, the chosen Savior, the chosen Deliverer. And so, 
as, as we, we look at Christ dying for our sins according to the Scriptures, we have to remember who Jesus is. Jesus is, you know, is, is a man, but Jesus is also God. Simultaneously, that's why when he came in his virgin, in his virgin birth, he came 100% human and 100% God. And because Jesus is both God and man, he's able to offer the perfect sacrifice for our, our sins on the cross. And he offers a, a sacrifice of, for our sins on the cross that, because we've been separated from God, and through, through Jesus' death, we can be reconciled to God. We can be in a relationship with God through Jesus. And, and beyond that, uh, the cross has the ability to, to break the power of sin over our lives so that sin doesn't have to control us, so that addictions don't have to control us. And Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples on how to understand his life according to the Old Testament scriptures. That's why these verses again and again say according to the scriptures. And, and you may be familiar with that, that Easter story in Luke chapter 24, um, where Jesus is, is, is walking and he meets the, uh, the, the Emmaus disciples. They're walking down the Emmaus road and they're, and they're, they're kind of bewildered. They know Jesus has died. They, they're, they don't grasp the resurrection yet and, and they're grieving. And so, you know, Jesus tells them about his resurrection. And he says in, in this verse, he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That, that's another word of saying, you know, all 39 books of the Old Testament, you know, he explained to them what was said, and all the scriptures concerning himself. And so you know, there, there's just numerous scriptures in the Old Testament that, that point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's numerous, there's numerous scriptures that, that give us predictions and foreshadowings of what Jesus went through when he died, when he was buried, when he was raised from the dead. Look at Psalm 22 sometime. Psalm 22 is amazing. It's often called the, the crucifixion psalm. And Psalm 22 describes Jesus' crucifixion more than a thousand years before he was crucified. And it was really centuries before they even invented crucifixion. Describes, you know, how he was nailed to the cross, how he was pierced, how he was suffered. And, and Jesus quotes part of Psalm 22 on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for those who, who knew the scriptures well, that would draw their mind to the, to the whole chapter, the crucifixion psalm. And then another great Old Testament passage that points to Jesus' death is, is the entire chapter of Isaiah 53. And it's been called throughout history the, the suffering servant song because it describes a servant of the Lord who, who suffers for the Lord and his people. And, and, and initially people didn't know who this song pointed forward to, this song. But, you know, we, we learn that it, that it points forward to Jesus. And listen to these verses from Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. It describes Jesus as despised and rejected by humanity, a man of suffering, a man familiar with pain. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished and by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced by our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Verse 6 says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. As we move into verse 4, we see how Jesus w was buried. Yeah. There, were, there were some people 
back in the back in New Testament days, and then there's even some skeptics and doubters and atheists today that that say Jesus didn't really die on the cross. I remember I was at Home Depot a few years ago, and I was I was talking about Jesus to a Muslim man at Home Depot, and, and the first thing he said to me, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Somebody else took his place. Uh, and so scriptures like this, you know, counter those skeptics and those doubters and tell us Jesus really died on the cross. Uh, you know, Joseph and Aram, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, you know, took Jesus's dead body off the cross. And the, and the Jews back then, they didn't bury bodies six feet under in the ground. They would put your body in a tomb. And rather than a casket, you would, they, would, they would wrap your body in, in strips of cloth and then soak them in perfumes and fragrances. If you've seen uh, Schindler's List, I know it's it's been out several years ago. Um, you if and if you visit the Holy Land, it it shows on, on the Mount of Olives where there there are there are tombs where people are buried in that area, but also shows where people have been buried today. And rather than you know putting people in the ground, there are there are caskets that are made out of stone and they rest up on top of the ground. And you know Schindler's List depicts that well. But this this is the kind of thing that. Is talked about here. When Jesus was buried, he was he was placed into a tomb. You know, his, his dead body was placed into a tomb. He was he was placed there for three days. And Jesus saw his death foreshadowed in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, you know, Jonah one seventeen, uh, Jesus speaks about that. Says, "For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so so he was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth." And let's move a little further into verse 4. It says that Christ was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Yeah. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You know, he, he never died again. You know, Jesus lives today. You know, Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, which was the, the third day after Good Friday using inclusive reckoning, which was really common in Bible days. And, and so the you know, his early followers, you know, they, they saw him, they heard him, they touched him. You know, the, you know, the doubting Thomas scene is so great that, you know, Thomas says, you know, I, I've only got to touch Jesus. I've got to touch the, the wounds in his hands, the wound in his side. And Jesus invited Thomas to do that. And Jesus predicted his, his resurrection again and again, you know, in places like John chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And sometimes Jesus kind of predicted it in a way that was a, seemed a little bit cryptic. And, and people would have aha moments after the fact and understand what he meant. Or they'd have a big aha moment as the Holy Spirit, you know, explained to them spiritual truth after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so one day Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he told his opposition, this is what John 2 tells us, you know, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they were incredulous and said, it, take, it took 46 years to build this temple, how are you going to raise it again in, in three days? And then after his resurrection, his disciples understood, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that the, the temple he was talking about wasn't the, the, the Jewish building, but Jesus was talking about the temple of his body, that he would be killed and then he would be resurrected in three days. Yeah. Other Old Testament passages, you know, point to Jesus' resurrection. When, you, when you, you hear Peter preach in, in Acts chapter 22, He's going through all of these different Old Testament scriptures that point to the, 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And, and one of these that he points out is, is Psalm 16.9. It says, you will not let your faithful one see decay. And so Jesus died. His dead body was placed in the tomb, but God didn't let Jesus' body go into decomposition before he was raised from the dead. And, and the reason for that was in, in Bible days, there, there was a very strong belief amongst Jewish and Christian people that, that your body decayed only after the third day, and so that Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scripture of Psalm 16.9. And, and that, that was so, so ingrained in people. And remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? How many days was it? It was four days. And, and, in, and, in, and in Bible days, people believed that your spirit hovered, among, hovered above your body for, for three days after you died, hoping to get back in. And on the fourth day, it was just impossible. Your body decayed, and, and there was no chance of resurrection. And that's why Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead on the fourth day, to show you know, he really is God in human flesh who can raise the dead. But here the scripture talks about, you know, God didn't let Jesus face any decay. He didn't, he didn't decompose in the grave. God raised him from the dead before that. Uh, the early Christians also saw Jesus' resurrection in places like Psalm 110.1, uh, which uh, God says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that, this refers to after the resurrection of Jesus. Forty days later, God raised him to his right hand where he sits at God's right hand in his throne in heaven. Verse 5 tells us that, that Christ appeared uh, to, to Cephas, or some translations say Peter, as, as Cephas is the Aramaic word for, for Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve, and, and the twelve refer to the disciples here. So after Jesus' resurrection, he, we know from the gospel accounts, he first to, appeared to Mary Magdalene, who was one of the first people at the tomb Easter Sunday morning, and he, he, re, he also appeared to a group of women who were followers that traveled with the disciples. And over, on that Easter Sunday and over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to Simon Peter, then the 12 disciples minus Judas. And so Paul here, he, he's mentioning these eyewitness accounts to affirm Jesus was really raised from the dead. The disciples saw him, they spoke to him, they, they ate with him, and like Thomas, they physically touched him. They touched his, you know, they touched the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his side. But despite all of that, Jesus is raised from the dead, never to die again. And the mention of, of eyewitnesses is one of those historical evidences that show us the resurrection of Jesus is, is beyond a shadow of a doubt true. And so today, church, uh, Christians, uh, our message focuses on the, on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 is just confirming to us Jesus physically died. Jesus' dead body was placed in the tomb, and Jesus' dead body was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. And in our Gospels, the, it's the best news in the world. And, you know, when when I go to a new restaurant that's really good, I want to tell all my friends about it. You know, when I see a, a great movie, I want to tell my friends about it. Um, you know, when something really good happens in our life, like, you know, when we learned Connie was in remission from cancer, man, I put it on my Facebook page. I call it, we call our son. We want all of our, we want everybody to know that's good news. 
And we've got better news than that. We have the gospel, but sometimes we're, we're keeping it to ourselves or we're not sharing it. Uh, William Tyndale was, was the pioneer translator of the Bible into English, and I love what he says about the gospel. He says that the gospel is good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a person's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. Uh, you know, we've got we've got a gospel that's that's worth celebrating about. I know in, in many uh, cancer wards, when you go into remission, they've got a bell and you ring it and you let everybody know. You know, I'm cancer free today. I'm in remission today. You know, we've got to, we've got to find a way to to ring the bell and tell people that that Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for you. Jesus was raised from you, and you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. He wants to change your life and bring you into a, a Christian community where you can find your, your closest friends on earth and where you can continue to have your life changed as you serve the Lord. Our, our next point is in verses 6 to 8, and our message is verified by, by literally hundreds of eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So Paul tells us here, if you'll read with me again, verses 6 to 8, it says, it says, after that, so after Jesus appeared to, to Peter and the disciples, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, and fallen asleep is a, is, is a euphemism for death. And then he appeared to James, then he appeared to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. You know, as we... And as we, we look at this passage and we, we compare, you know, the, our New Testament was written in the first century. And as we, as we compare it to other books that were written in the first century, other historical books, uh, we, there, there's really nothing else like this at the time, which gives hundreds of eyewitnesses to a historical event. You know, Jesus was seen by hundreds of people that were resurrected from the dead. And so, you know, Paul lists these these people, some of them by name, some of them by group, because when he wrote 1 Corinthians, most of them were still living at the time. And the, the people of Corinthians, they were struggling with doubt and struggling with confusion about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, you know, Paul lists these people, says, and he's telling, telling them they were still alive. You can go find these people. You can go talk to these people, he's saying. They can tell you through their own eyes and through their own words, that they, they saw Jesus die. They saw Jesus raised from the dead. And one of the things I really love about these eyewitness accounts is how Jesus radically changed the lives of these people. You know, the, you know, the first person mentioned to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus is Simon Peter. And, and you've got to love Peter. You know, Peter you know, Peter has mountaintop experiences with God, and then, boy, he hits rock bottom. You know, Peter's a, an extrovert in a big mouth. Sometimes he says the right thing. Sometimes he sticks his foot in his mouth and grabs everybody else's foot and sticks it in, too. You know, P Peter's that way. And so Peter was the, the leader of the 12 disciples, and he was part of Jesus' inner circle. He, he had an inner circle of three people, Peter, James, and John. And and. Peter, James, and John saw things that nobody else saw. Like when Jesus was transfigured as God, Peter, James, and John were there. When he raised you know, a little girl from the dead, Peter, James, and John were the only ones in the room with Jesus. And then when Jesus 
was betrayed on the, on the night of his betrayal in Gethsemane. The 12 disciples are with him, but he says, he says to Peter, James, and John, I need you with me closer. Pray with me. Keep, keep watch with me. And then, you know, Peter's the only one to have enough faith to try to walk on water with Jesus. And when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you believe I really am? Peter's the only one to speak up and say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, you know, Peter followed close by to, to see what was going to happen to Jesus. And they began to ask Peter about being a disciple. And three times he said, no way. And he said, I don't even know Jesus. And he cursed like a sailor to try to confirm he didn't know Jesus. And then on Easter Sunday, the book of Luke tells us that when Peter went to the empty tomb, he was scratching his head, walking away, wondering what had happened. You know, his faith was so broken, he, he was walking away from Jesus' empty tomb as, a, as an unbeliever who denied the Lord. But then after his resurrection, Jesus appears to Peter and radically transforms Peter. He, he forgives his sin and makes Peter this great church leader. But along with being a, a great church leader, he also made him a powerful preacher. So when we look at Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches with such power that 3,000 people get saved, 3,000 people get baptized on one day. You imagine sitting there for that kind of baptism service? <laughs> 3,000 people? But that's, that's how Jesus changed Peter's life. And so Jesus died for people like Peter, and maybe you're like Peter. Jesus died for people like Peter who mess up their lives with bad choices. You know, Jesus forgives our sins even though we think our sins might be immense and terrible. And if we're consumed with shame, if we're consumed with brokenness, you know, Jesus can touch your heart and change your life just like he did with Peter. And Jesus came back for people like Peter who failed him in big ways. And Jesus came back for people who hurt him. And Jesus came back to, to give us a fresh start when we've really made some terrible choices or really sinned in big ways. And Jesus was resurrected for people who need a second chance with God. Another person mentioned by name in this, in this um, passage is James, and there are several Jameses in the Bible, and, and this James is the, the half-brother of Jesus who, who wrote the book of James. And before Jesus' resurrection, James, and it seems along with the rest of his family, they don't believe that Jesus is God's son. One, one day, Jesus is preaching in a home, and James comes with his mother Mary and, and other uh, siblings, and they try to get Jesus to stop preaching, and, they, and as they talk among themselves, they're, they're wondering if Jesus is mentally ill because he's claiming to be the Son of God. So he definitely wasn't a believer early on. He wasn't a believer when Jesus died and when he was buried. Uh, sometimes soon after the resurrection, uh, Christian tradition tells us that Jesus appeared to James one evening in his carpenter shop and just wrapped his arms around James and hugged him. And James came to faith in Jesus as the Son of God. He believed in the, the death, burial, and resurrection. And, and James was radically transformed. He became, became one of the two, huh, the two leaders of the Jerusalem church, the first church. And so if we think about James, <clears throat> Jesus came for people who struggle with matters of faith. And if you struggle with matters of faith like James said, even to the point of, of disbelief, Jesus wants to strengthen your faith. Jesus wants to bring you into a relationship with God, and Jesus wants to use you in big ways like he did with James. 
the last person you know, mentioned by name in, in this passage is, is Paul, who writes this letter. And think about Paul. He's, he's a, you know, as a young man, he's this brilliant Jewish theologian and scholar, but he's also an atheist when it comes to Jesus. He just thought Jesus was a fraud. He hated Christians, and he wanted to destroy churches. And then one day, Jesus appeared to Paul in, in a vision, you know, a, a dream-like experience when he's wide awake. And Jesus forgave Paul and then transformed his life so that Paul becomes the, you know, the, the evangelist, the, the missionary, the church planter, the greatest one in the New Testament. Um, he was the one who did the best job of mentoring church leaders. He writes almost half of the New Testament books. And he's really second only to Jesus in the impact he's had for Christ throughout history. As literally millions of people's lives have been changed over thousands of years through Paul's life and letters. And so if you're, if you're like Paul, remember Jesus came for, for brilliant, gifted people like you. Uh, Jesus came for people who don't believe in him, who really dislike Christians and are very skeptical of the church. And so Jesus... If you deal with, if you've got doubts and skepticism, you can, you can bring all of that to Jesus. He, he can handle it. The, the Bible can stand up under it. And Jesus wants to give you a strong faith. He wants to give you a sure faith. He wants to come into your heart and forgive you and change your life. And, and he also wants to remind you, as, as Paul hated Christians and misunderstood Christians, you know, Jesus wants to remind us that, that Christians are imperfect people, but our lives are being changed by Jesus. You know, Paul hated churches and wanted to destroy uh, churches, and, and Jesus is giving us a little reminder here that, you know, that church is a, is a family where God does his best work on earth. You know, churches may be filled with imperfect people, but God does some amazing, wonderful work through his churches and, you know, through your church. We started out with a question earlier today, uh, you know, what is our message as a church? It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was resurrected. He lived a, lived a, a per, perfect life on earth. And through all of these things, Jesus offers us a, a relationship with God. He offers us forgiveness, and he offers us eternal life in heaven. And we, we receive these things into our lives when we get real with Jesus in prayer and, and ask him to forgive our sins and ask him to come into our life and be our Lord, and we commit our lives to Him in faith. Church, you know, our, our mission is to share this wonderful message with others. That's, that's the foundation of our, of our, of our lives, of, of our churches, is the gospel. And if you're, if you're a person that doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, you're still seeking. Um, Jesus wants to strengthen your faith and come into your life today. We can help you with that today. Would you pray with me as Jesse comes to lead us in our, in our invitation song? Father in heaven, we, we love you. We thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to, to live an amazing life, die on the cross for us, be raised from the dead. And God, I just pray that, um, you know, as individual believers, as, a, as, a, as the church family of First Baptist McLeod, God, Lord, give us, a, give us a joy, give us a wonder, give us a blessing of knowing the, the, the gospel message and give us an enthusiasm for sharing it with others. And Lord, draw people into our lives and, 
into our relationships and into this church where they can experience the gospel. And I pray, God, for those who don't know Christ, who are here today, Lord, that they would, they would receive him in the gospel message today. And we pray this in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Like it doesn't matter. I don't want to lose the wonder of your presence. I don't want to come in title. I want to run in like a child, caught up in the joy and wonder of your presence. I am coming back to first love coming back to jesus coming back to you no more going through the motions you're my one devotion i'm coming back to you Feel a world of difference And suddenly the room is shifting I'm finding it again The wonder of your presence I never want to leave communion Just want to be where you're moving I'm caught up in the joy and wonder of your presence Coming back to first love, coming back to Jesus, I'm coming back to you. No more going through the motions, you're my one devotion, I'm coming back to you. Coming back to first love, coming back to Jesus, coming back to you. Going through the motions, you're my one devotion, coming back to you. Nothing. Nothing, nothing matters more to me. You're all I need. Nothing matters more to me. Nothing, nothing, nothing matters more to me. You're all I need. Nothing matters more to me. Nothing, nothing. Nothing matters more to me. You're all I need. Nothing matters more to me. Nothing, 